As I begin to prepare for this lesson today, um, I had to ask the Lord, Lord, are you sure this is where we still want to be and where we just want to keep? And I got assurance from him that, yes, this is, this is what I want to say to my people. And so we're going to continue in the same vein that we have been traveling the last two weeks. And today, though, we are going to um, talk about girding up the loins of our mind. Now, I don't know about you, but there's not a lot of people in everyday language these days that just say, gird your loins. I mean, we don't hear that in everyday talk. Um, if we hear it, it's usually referring to Scripture because that's not something that's just common everyday language anymore. But to gird means to get ready for a dangerous situation, to get ready for hard work or for a battle. So when you think of gird up the loins of your mind, you are strapping your mind in and bringing it into submission to what you are getting ready to face. Peter applies this to the disciplining, disciplining of our minds in 1 Peter 1.13. Nope. Thank you. I'm doubly prepared. So, in 1 Peter 1.13, it says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace of that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, in the New International Version, I'm going to read that as well. It says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. I am holding on for that day. That when he gets here, that it will be revealed. Those things that we only see in part will be revealed and we will understand it. In the English language, this is known as an imperative sentence or a command. Like, shut the door. Open the door. There is an understood subject of you. So when it says, gird the loins of your mind, that means... You gird the loins of your mind. Everybody say, me. That means me. Okay? I am supposed to gird up the loins of my mind. We are commanded to take some responsibility in what happens. I had someone say to me one time, not in this church, so don't try to use your powers of discernment and figure out who it was, because it wasn't anyone here. But he said <clears throat> to me, he said, you know, I'm really feeling called to go back into um, rock music and play rock music. And I feel like that if I feel like that's a good thing and I'm pulled to that, then it must be God. I said, well, what if God tells you to slit your wrist? You think that's God? You would say, get behind me, Satan. But when it's something we want to do, then suddenly we justify that 
If God didn't want me to do that, he wouldn't have put that, or he wouldn't have let faults. That's not the way it works. We think that we know what we need. Most of us, we have a concept in our mind that, God, this is what I need, and this is how you could work it out. I mean, I've given him so many good game plans. How about you? And to be honest with you, most of them are still in my scrap pile. That's not even the way he did it. I mean, we can just go with who I married. And, and because when I went to Bible college, I have to tell you, I did not go to Bible college to find a husband. I, I went to Bible college with a boyfriend. I mean, I didn't go with him. I already had a boyfriend is what I'm saying. I wasn't interested in a preacher. No way, no how. I was so excited that when all this transpired and I started dating my husband, he was a music major. And I just felt like God was answering the desires of my heart that I was going to be able to be involved in ministry and work for God, but I wasn't going to be married to a preacher. Hallelujah. Not that my childhood was scarring or anything like that. It wasn't. I had a wonderful childhood. I had wonderful parents. But I knew that there were 9,000 women that wanted to be preacher's wives, and I knew how many people God needs to hold up the arms of the ministry. And I thought, I know how to do that. I know behind the scenes what they need more than anybody else. And I can do it, Lord. And I just, I, I was just thanking him for working on it. I went home. I told my parents, I've met this person, and he's in music, and blah, 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 blah. And he, at the same time, was at his, in his pastor's office saying, I feel like I need to change my major. <laughs> and when he finally got around to sharing that with me, too late, anyway. But God knows. God knows better than we know. But understanding that we think we know what we need, 100% of believers go through a period where they believe that God seems to have let them down. If you say any differently, you would be lying. Now, I'm not saying you dwell in that, but I am saying that we all go through situations where we feel like, how can this be? I do not understand that. I, I, I am, it's, it's amazing that Sister Lucas is sitting here. Sister Lucas, that was a situation that I felt like, God, do you know what you're doing? Barb and Steve Willoughby, I've referenced that before. Those are situations where I'm like, God, this does not make sense. And we did reference two weeks ago concerning the fact that sometimes we bring things upon ourselves. I heard uh, Raymond Woodward speak about that he keeps a shredded tie in his closet. And he said, I keep that shredded tie there because he said, one time I went in to shred stuff and I leaned over with my tie. And he said, the shredder, he said, pretty soon I was up to the shredder to my neck. 
And he said, I got it off and I kept it because I want the Lord to remind me that sometimes you just can't fix stupid. You know what I mean? I mean, we don't write checks for things that we want and then pray that God will put that money in the bank, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, there's a difference when God tells you to do something and do it in faith. But when it's something that's my own carnal desires and wishes, and I'm going to write the check and ask him to make it up for me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about one who serves faithfully for years. And in a moment of crisis, we feel like we've been abandoned because we do not understand the ways of God and what he has allowed for us to experience. I've told this story, but it was I did check because I usually try to write it down when I've told it. It was in 2006, so we'll see how many of you remember. But there was a story about a man who was driving his truck on a narrow mountain road. And to the right was a cliff that dropped 500 feet to a canyon below. And as he rounded a curve, his truck, he suddenly lost control of it. And it plunged over the side and it bounced down the mountain, burst into flames at the bottom of this canyon. And the terrified man was ejected as his truck went over the edge. And as he was falling over, he managed to grab a little scrubby brush, a little tree that was stuck in the side of the mountain. And he was frantically holding on to that small limb as he dangled precariously over the abyss. And after trying to pull himself up for several minutes, he called out in desperation, Hey, is anybody there? And in a few seconds, the thundering voice of the Lord echoed across the mountain, Yes, I'm here. What do you want? What do you need? And the man pleaded, save me. I just can't hold on much longer. And there was an agonizing pause and the voice said, all right, I am going to save you. But first, you must turn loose of the limb and trust me to catch you. Release your grip now and my hands will be under you. The dangling man looked over his shoulder and at the burning truck in the valley below, and then he called out, Hey, is there anybody else up there? And that's the way we feel sometimes. We don't always like the answer that we get. Sometimes we don't even get an answer. We walk by faith, not by sight. And in those moments when we want complete deliverance from a situation and God does it in a different fashion and he chooses to do it differently than what we imagine, we are faced with the crossroads of how we will respond to that situation. And Peter said, gird up the loins of your mind. Because your mind will take you to places and situations and scenarios that are not of God, that are opposed to the word of God, and they will put you in a position of unbelief to the point that it can destroy your faith. Frustration and fear cause the human spirit to recoil in distrust and confusion, and it's similar to the situation of when you have a little child. 
Do you remember the first time, if you have children, that you had to tell your child no? They can't believe it. Maybe some of your children have never experienced that, but my children experienced it. And when I told them no, it was like, because I'm the one who made sure that they got everything that they needed. But they had to learn that you don't always know what's best for you. And they have to learn to trust that you're not mean and sadistic, but you're making decisions that cross what they desire because you have more information than they do on what is best for them. Hello? And we find ourselves in that same position that he says no, or he says wait, or he says we're doing it this way. And we have to trust that he has more information than we do. And he is making the decision that is best for us, that is best for the will of God, that is best for his will to be completed. And that is not always fun. And Satan plays a role in this as well because he has a specific role to discourage us and to distort the truth. He will twist and pervert until you are seeing things in every bush that there is. Everybody hates me. Nobody likes me. They looked at me funny. I rebuke that. You know, there are times that I have to not only encourage myself in the Lord, but I have to give myself a reality check in the Lord. Because my mind can start thinking things and believing things that are not even true. And Satan encourages that. He helps you right along with it. You're absolutely right, Cheryl. I'm telling you what, they had no business doing that. And he goes on and on and on. And if I don't gird up the loins of my mind, I'm open to that. He usually shows up in the moments of our greatest discouragement and he begins to taunt, taunt the wounded believer. He begins to pick at that sore and that wound that is there. He's had a lot of practice, and he's very skillful in these tactics. And I've come to tell you today that you are not alone. You have not been singled out for sorrow. We will all face circumstances that do not fit in any logic. I want to say this to you, that being a follower of Jesus Christ is not insurance against the storms of life. The storms of life are going to come they are going to be in every believer and unbeliever's life. I told you two weeks ago, God is more interested in what he does in you than what he does through you. Yes, we have entered a war. When you gird up the loins of your mind, when you put on the whole armor of God, you are girding yourself for a battle. But yes, we have entered a war. But we, when we entered that war, we also gained a power that we did not have before. Your worst day with God is better than your best day without Him. 
we can have confidence that all things, all things, even though they are not all good, that all things work together to bring good into my life, into your life. You can tell those who don't really believe this when you see their response when bad things happen to them. We have people that are no longer a part of this church because they came to that crossroad. And their decision was, ultimately, they may have put a face to it, a person to it, but ultimately... They are offended at God that God allowed those things into their life. We see that with the children of Israel. When Moses went to God and said, Look, they're all upset and they're mad and they're offended. And God said, Moses, it's not you that's the problem. You're the face of it, but they're offended at me. They're upset with me. And there has to come a point in time where we release God in our lives that I don't understand what you're doing, but I know who you are and I believe you and I trust you and you will do what is best for me. And that has to be a conscious decision within us. You cannot find scripture. I don't care where you look, what Bible, what translation, you cannot find scripture where God promised to be fair. He didn't. He did say he would be righteous and just, but that is entirely different from being fair. His lifelong mission is that we will be conformed to his image. And if we allow, if he allows, and we allow him to do it, bring those difficult situations into our life, you can accept them with the assurance that it will help us to be conformed to his image. But that is a painful process. For some of us, more painful than others. Some of us are stubborn, and some of us are unyielding, and some of us are determined to have our own way. And as a result, sometimes he gets out the, the bigger hammer. My husband is told it to you before. When you have twins, you think, oh, well, what works for one works for the other. But no, we had one that you could just go, uh, she would go, uh, and we had another, if you went, uh, she would go. He doesn't change the bad things to good. But when I come through those things, he does say he will restore my soul. I have that answer, that promise that says, hey, I may be going through the trial, but he's going with me. And when I come through on the other side, he is going to form something in me that wasn't there when this began. Some of the most encouraging words in the Bible are, it came to pass. I got to tell you this, I, Amy and I have done that trail out in the park or wherever it is, it's by the hospital, and we run, we would run this one part, and I'm just telling you that, well, one time my husband went with me and he said, he was running and he goes, are we about at the end? That was kind of how he said it, it was more like, 
I said, this is halfway. <laughs> we ran a little while more. He goes, you don't even know what halfway is. <laughs> but there was a part that he said, my Lord, this is Heartbreak Hill. And you start up that hill, and it's a long, long climb. And, and you know, there were more than one time that I had to tell myself, I just would say, come on, you wimp. Get after it. What is the problem with you? Get up. Get going. Because in my flesh, I didn't want to do it. It would be easy to quit. And I knew if I quit, Amy would quit. (laughs) We are not prohibited, though, from trying to understand. We just cannot lean on the assumption that we're always going to be able to make the pieces fit and that we're always going to be able to understand it. There are not always tidy answers available. Don't make the mistake of pressing God into a corner and making him answer. You better give me an answer or else. I'd like to know what your or else is going to be. God doesn't always tear out the heart of an individual or a family for reasons of selfishness. He does it because he looks at the whole picture that I cannot see, that I do not understand. But he knows, he knows what is best. Some of our answers are going to have to wait for that great getting up morning. And I don't know about you, but the more we go into this life... I'm ready for him to come back and to split the sky. And I'm saying, even so, come quickly. I could not understand that when I was a little kid. And I would, those older people would say, oh, even so, come Lord Jesus. And I'm like, what? We've got a lot of life to live here, brother and sister. But I get it. <laughs> I understand that old song. By and by, when the morning comes, when all the saints of God are gathered home, we will tell the story how we've overcome, and we'll understand it better by and by. Sing it with me. By and by, when the morning comes, when all the saints of God are gathered home, we will tell the story of how we've overcome, and we'll understand it better by and by. Trials dark on every hand, and we cannot understand all the ways of God would lead us to that blessed promised land. But he guides us with his eye, and we'll follow till we die. And we'll understand it better by and by. Sing it again. Oh, by and by. When all the saints of God are gathered home, we will tell the story. How we've overcome, and we'll understand it better by and by. Those are the kind of songs I sing to myself, knowing that 
Lord, you are the author and the finisher of my faith. You will not bring me into something that you're not going to take me through. We are in good company. The Bible is full of examples of those who have faced hardships. We look at Joseph. He's one of the, uh, you know, a huge portion of the Old Testament that it talks about him and the story of his life. But most of that life is full of heartache and distress and hardships. He was hated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was imprisoned and he was falsely accused of rape. And we have no indication from the scripture that God ever clued him in as to what was going on. We see years go by. You know, we can tell the story in the classroom in 20 minutes and, oh, that's a nice story and we know where it's going. But bless God, he was in it and he didn't know where it was going. But he never gave up his faith. He never gave up his trust. We see where he was expected to live one day at a time in less than complete understanding. And he remained faithful and pleased that he could serve his God when nothing made sense. How about John the Baptist? No angel visited his cell to give him an explanation of what was going. I know that's true because when all this was said and done, we know that the scripture's going to say there's none greater than John the Baptist. But John the Baptist didn't know that that was going to be said about him. And he responded in a very human way. And he says, hey, am I sitting here suffering in vain? Are you the one that is to come? Or am I going this through this for nothing? How about James? He had one little verse devoted to his suffering, Acts 12, 2. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, if I'm the one getting my head cut off, I think I need more than one verse. But the second half of Hebrews 11 is a picture of faithful men and women who lived in anticipation of a promise that was never fulfilled at the time of their death. But they walked on in faith. Having steadfast faith in God does not guarantee you a carefree, happy life. You've heard it. People have said it to you, I'm sure. They've said it to me. When I walked up here and asked God to come into my life, I thought my trials would be over. No, trials still come, but now you're hooked up with the most amazing, wonderful, powerful source that you could imagine that's going to help you through those things. And having said that, when we walk up here and we bring him into being in charge of our life, we do quit doing some of those stupid things. Not always. I can't tell you how many times I've said, Lord, I promise I'm, uh, I'm trying to do better. I'm going to put those keys in that one place, Lord. But if you could just one more time. And he always does. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And that trouble can be something as simple as losing your keys and something as humongous as things that we know that people have traversed through that bring no light and no understanding. 
The fact of the matter is that we may never see the point of our suffering. John 16, says, These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You understand, he said, in me ye might have peace. I'm running into that refuge. I'm hiding in him because I know that he will bring me through. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. God is God. He is majestic. He is holy. He is sovereign. And he is accountable to no one. He is not our servant. We are his. We know this, but the problem The breakdown comes when we have to adjust our everyday actions and lifestyle to match what we already know. Hillary Scott's song says it so well. She says, I know you're good, but this don't feel good right now. But the end result has to be, thy will be done. The reason for our existence is to glorify and honor Him. Thank God that He performs miracles on our behalf. And sometimes He pulls back the curtain and allows us to see an explanation for what we have suffered. And He allows us to feel His presence as if He were right beside us. Can you not remember those moments when you felt like you could not bear it on your own? When you could not... Make it through, but he some way, somehow brought you through, and you know that you can testify that he is real, that he does work things for our good. I cannot get to a place that I'm so good that he just gives me good things because my journey is to become like him and there's still way too much of me in this person and he is trying to mold me and make me to look like him on the other hand sometimes nothing seems to make sense and what we're facing seems unfair and sometimes The only words that we hear are, trust me. And we're like the guy hanging onto the little tree. Is there anybody else up there? But your understanding of God is when you begin to become involved in relationship with him. Because it's very difficult for me if I don't know you You've heard this said before in relationships with people. I don't know why they did it, but I, under, I know their heart. I know their heart. And I know that they would not have done that 
to just be mean. I don't understand why it happened, but I'm sure because I know them. And that's the same way when we're in relationship with him. We don't always understand his ways. But when we are involved in relationship with him and we know him and we know his ways and what his principles are, we understand that he has our back. And he is doing what is best for me. I don't understand why we lost Charlie Mahaney. What a voice in our movement. I just have to tell you this little story um, real quickly. But let me say this first. But I do know this. I don't know that Nick Mahaney's ministry would have been molded and fashioned without what he's come through. Because God understands and it's not that God says, well, I'm going to take Charlie Mahaney's life so Nick Mahaney can know. But God says, this is, this is the big picture, and I'm going to take this terrible circumstance and this terrible loss, and I'm going to use it for the betterment and for people to be touched and moved. I just have to tell you this story. You know, from time to time, brother, Nick Mahaney has had brother uh, Charlie Mahaney's CDs and books, things out like that. And um, he had the one that was his life's testimony. And if you didn't ever hear that, oh, my word, if he ever brings them back, you need to get it. I mean, it's, it's better than any fiction story you'll ever read. It's in, unbelievable. Um, Hollywood can't make up something like that. It's just unbelievable, incredible, of how God, what God did in his life. And I had this little quizzer, and this has been some time ago. Luke was still in junior quizzing. And um, we didn't have anyone to quiz with Luke, and so we combined with a little boy named Dominic. And uh, Dominic had went through some terrible, terrible struggles in his life. And um, he, we were driving in the car, and the kid, all I can tell you is he was, you know, when you've got a seven-hour drive with a child that you've got to try to keep entertained, you're going to pull out Charlie Mahaney's CD and say, hey, why don't we listen to this? And he was just fascinated. I mean, he's just listening, listening. It wasn't seven hours. It was about four hours. So he listened to it, and, he, and as soon as we finished, he goes, can we listen to it again? Sure. Turn, hit it again. He listened to it again. He listened to that thing about two and a half times before we ever got to where we were going. And I didn't really, you know, think that much about it. When we uh, went back to meet his mom after the tournament, he wanted to listen to it again. Well, years had went by, and I saw his mom. I hadn't, I'd lost contact with him, and I saw his mom because her younger daughter was quizzing. And I asked her, how's Dominic? And she said, he's not doing very well. That just pray for him because he's really in a struggle. He's just, you know, at, at that age and just a lot of questions about things that have transpired in his life. And um, she actually was raising him. She was not his um, birth mother. She was a relative. And I, we had a revival with Brother Nick Mahaney again, and I saw that there were those CDs were out again because mine had just, we had listened to it so much. It was, you know, doing skipping and probably had things on it from children and everything else. You just it didn't work anymore. So I bought another one. And I went to a and I went to a tournament and I saw her and I said, Meredith, I want you to give this to Dominic because um I know you said he's in a struggle and I want you to 
take this. And so she did. And I saw her about two years later, and he was there, and he was quizzing again. And I said, how's it going? And she said, he is doing great. He is doing awesome. She goes, I'm going to tell you something. She said, when you gave him that CD, she said, or I gave it to him, and she said, he took that into his room. And she said, I'm going to tell you something. She said, something started to change in his life, and something started to happen. And I thought, you know, isn't that like God? That those words of that faithful man of God, even though he has gone on to be the Lord, it is still speaking into a young man's life and changing him and giving him that hope that he needs. I want you to know that God knows where you are, what you need, when you need it, and he will not leave you in the state you're in. If he's brought you this far, he can keep you. That's a beautiful testimony of people who can stand and say, the Lord has kept me. The Lord has brought me through these things. We don't all have a testimony like Nick Mahaney and others that we hear. But you know what? I have a testimony that the Lord has kept me and he has not allowed me to fall into paths that the enemy would have liked to have taken me. I can testify of his goodness. We are more than conquerors. And the same God who led us into this trial will lead us out. And I don't know, it may not be led out on this side of heaven, but bless God, we're going to get led out one way or another. When the enemy comes into our life, you know, I, I heard Brother Woodward, and sorry, but he just keeps coming to mind today. I guess I should pray for him, because what he says coming to me while I'm speaking this morning, but he was making the statement, and I'm not a Bible scholar. I read the Bible, and I study the Bible, but I don't know Greek and Hebrew and um, all of that. But he said that the original text, there was no punctuation. The King James people are the ones that put the punctuation in. And he mentioned, he said that the scripture that we quote like this, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard. But he said that, that, par- that comma could have come in a different place. It could have said, when the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard. I've never thought of that scripture differently since then. And I say it, when the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Lord is raising up what I need, when I need it. He is there and he will bring me through. I do not have to be victimized or depressed by my circumstances. That is the key, is where we decide. It begins between our ears, in our mind, what we are going to do with what we have been given. I choose to trust him. I can be miserable and whine, and complain, and grumble, and murmur. And do you ever do that, Sister Jean? Absolutely. And that's when I have to do like I did on Heartbreak Hill and say, come on, you wimp, get up. What is your problem? You can do this. You have got the most incredible God who is on your side. And with him, you can do all things. And without him, you can do nothing. I know that my impossibilities become possible with him. The challenge is, from here to there, 
living my life like I really believe that and making that choice to the people around me. Well, I don't know why I'm the one that always has to go through this. You know, there are some people that I promise you, it seems like they never get a break. Maybe you feel like you're one of those people. I remember when we were pastoring, my dad was pastoring in Cutler, Illinois. It made such an impact and impression on my young life that I will never forget it as long as I... But there was a faithful woman of God, Ruth Jones, who had prayed for her son to be saved for years and years and years. He had walked away from God. And he was involved in a car accident. And for days... He hung between life and death. And Ruth Jones was believing that God was going to raise him up and answer that prayer. Mike Jones died. But I will never forget that Sunday night. They called us on that Sunday afternoon and they said, Mike passed away today. Of course, we, they went to the hospital. My parents were praying with her and all these things. But I will never forget as a teenager standing in that service on Sunday night and the doors opened and here came Ruth Jones. Wow. And Ruth Jones just didn't walk in and come and have us all pray for her and she was weak. No, Ruth Jones came in with I know my Redeemer lives. I know that God is on the throne. I may not understand this, but I don't know what transpired in that car before the vehicles got there to help my son. And I will go to my grave understanding and trusting him. I was impacted in my life forever and ever by that faithful woman of God. And I said, Lord, with your help, I want to live my life like somebody like that that says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. He knows the way I take. He understands. Everybody else may not understand. And I can either make it my choice to grumble and complain and cry and whine and make sure they understand it. Or I can say, you know what, Lord? I don't know, but I know your heart. And I know that I can trust you. And I know that you're bringing me through. And you will take me through this situation. I'm going to close with this scripture. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 4 through 9. And then I'm also going to read verse 13. Rejoice. Again, that's an imperative. That means you rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. You know, it's funny to me that that moderation to all men would be coming right in between him saying rejoice and then for us to pray, because I think he's letting us know. And of course, there's more to that. But understanding this, that I'm not going to be up and down, up and down, up and down. But I'm going to understand that w- life is going to be up and down. But I can be steady with him in my life. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Again, let me say this. Do you understand that he put at the beginning of that, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Again, it's the approach that we come to him. That I don't say, I can't believe you did this to me again, Lord. Lord, I'm thankful. I've told you before, I'm thankful for my knees, Lord. Lord, they're cracking and they're popping and they sound like Rice Krispies, Lord. And I thought, I thought, Lord, that you'd fixed them by now. But Lord, I thank you that they're still holding me up, that I'm walking on them, Lord. But he didn't say in the midst of that not to keep asking. So I'm going to keep asking him. And Lord, if it's in your will and you, and you want to do this, I'm all for you just healing them, Lord. But understanding that the way that I approach him changes the situation. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Will you read the next verse with me? Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. How do I gird up the loins of my mind? I'm going to think on these things. Yes, there are realities in my life that stink, but I'm going to think on these things. Yes, there are needs that he has not answered, but I am going to think on the fact that he is able and that he has done it for others. And if he chooses to, he will do it for me. These things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, here's the key, do. That little two-letter word is what makes it hard. Because we've all seen things, we've learned things, we've received things, but it's difficult sometimes to put that into everyday life. But then he gives a promise. And the God of peace shall be with you. And verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Can you testify to that? <laughs> Lord, I don't know what's in my future. I know what's in the right now. And I know what's in my past. And you know what's in my future. But I know that with you, I can do all things. Can we praise him? Lord Jesus.